The following message was presented during the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries 2017 Prophecy Conference season. Now, here's Tom Simcox with a message from Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 37, The Vision of God's Sovereign Rule. The topic we're going to be looking at this evening is Daniel chapter 4. As you have your Bibles, you, uh, you may want to, uh, to grab them and join with me in chapter 4. Some of you might remember this gentleman. Politics a long time ago in a, in a world far, far away. His name was G. Gordon Liddy. He was one of the big uh, movers and shakers in the uh, President uh, Richard Nixon administration. And he made this statement that uh, has always intrigued me. He said, I have found within myself all I need and all I ever shall need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith is in George Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. Interesting, huh? You know, as I was looking at this chapter in Scripture, as I was praying about the direction to go, this quote in this gentleman was really brought back to my mind because, you see, as we come to chapter 4, we're going to be introduced to a man who, in a long time ago, sort of felt the same way. And in fact, I would dare say there are many in the world among us that feel the same way. They're the captain of their ship. They are the master of their destiny. They are in charge here, and they really don't need anyone or anything. Uh, I think uh, Nebuchadnezzar felt that way, and we're going to see what happens when, uh, when pride meets El Elyon, the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar's proclamation, we begin this, uh, this exciting chapter with a proclamation that was probably written by Nebuchadnezzar, could very well have been a very proclamation that was issued from him and that was posted around the, uh, the empire. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Notice this was written to everybody that was under his authority. And at that point, he was the largest world empire, so he basically had control of everything. So he's writing to everybody that was under his control, and he's telling them this is, uh, this is to all the peoples, the nations, the languages that dwell on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. And he says, then we continue on here. Let me I'll just turn two pages at once here. I thought it good, verse 2, to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. To whom the nations, about whom the Most High God. Let me tell you, I think as we're here today, many of us can look back and say, you know what? We could kind of give a similar proclamation. We could tell someone, this is to you. And I'm here to tell you about the Most High God and what he's done in my life. And you know, in, our, in the old days, we used to have things called testimony time. Remember that? And that was an opportunity to stand up and to tell everyone the great things that God was doing in your life. And that's really what this chapter is. This chapter is a testimony. It's Nebuchadnezzar standing up before all the known world to him that was under his control. And he's basically singing, basically shout to the Lord, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And let me tell you, that's important that we do that. It's important that we remember that. So many times when we're going through difficult times, we have a tendency to pray, and then we end up being like the, uh, the lepers who were healed and don't come back and say thank you. And we don't come back and tell others what God has done in our life. And it's important that we do that. And this chapter is really one of the most amazing testimony chapters in the Word of God. He goes on here as we move on, and he says in verse 3, 
He says, how great are his signs. He's talking about the Most High God. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You see, when he talked about the Most High God here in verse 2, the Most High God is an English rendition of the Hebrew name El Elyon. Now, in Hebrew, whenever you put the word together with itself, you have the superlative. For example, the book of Song of Solomon is actually titled in the Hebrew, The Song of Songs, which was Solomon. What it's saying is, he wrote a lot of songs, but this was the best. This was the superlative of all the songs that Solomon wrote. This was the best. Well, when you put L, L together, you're talking about the strongest strong one, the highest high one, the most exalted of all the gods there is. He is the most high. There's no one higher. He is El Elyon, the most high God. If you've seen the commentary that... Uh, that, that Rennie Showers wrote so many years ago. It's called The Most High God because that's really how God is introduced throughout this book. He is El Elyon, the Most High God. And he says, I want you to understand how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I'll tell you at that point, we should just be able to say amen and kind of break out into the doxology because it seems like our world is a mess. We're praying for what's going to maybe unfold in Florida. We're looking back at what happened in Texas. We hear about the magnitude of the earthquake that's hit Mexico. We understand what's happening with North Korea. I don't know whether you saw it today. Mexico expelled North Korea's ambassador. The world is in a mess. We have ISIS. We have all kinds of problems. But you know what? God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. God is his dominion is from generation to generation before eternity was and 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 when eternity is long since like going on before there was anything there was god and he's in complete control and sovereign his universe and and i thank god for that and it's interesting that this gentile ruler who has been being impacted as we move along through daniel we see how god was really really impacting his life. So that he comes to chapter 4, and we're going to see some really some amazing things that are going to come from him and from his mouth as this chapter unfolds. I want you to see God's revelation. We're going to start out, I'll just put the whole thing up so that you can see it. We'll allude to it in a little bit. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians, verse 7, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me the interpretation. So here we go again. Same man, another dream. Let's bring in these guys, because they had such a great success record. <laughs> now, they, they were just like the frightened fills. They were batting a thousand. That's a joke for the baseball people. You'll, you'll understand. <laughs> you know, when the Phillies, after the first game of the season, and the Phillies, you know, they won the first game, and they've been losing ever since. It's like, we don't say wait till next year. Now, wait till next decade. We'll be back. We'll, we'll be back. We'll claw our way in next decade. I just hope I'm alive to see them make the World Series again. He sends for the religious leaders. He sends for these Chaldeans and these soothsayers. The same group that, that he had in, in, in the, the chapter, what, two, three? 
Now he brings them in again. Now this time he doesn't expect them to tell him the dream. He says, here's the dream. Can you tell me what it means? And they're uh, like, not really. But at last, verse 8, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These are the visions, and here we go on. These are the visions of my head, verse 10, while I was in my bed. I was looking, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. You notice I put up here a, a, a very large tree over here on the right. That tree is uh, known as Hyperion. It is a redwood tree that uh, resides in California. It's over 380 feet tall, coming in at about 15.92 meters, and it's considered to be the largest living tree on the face of the earth. Okay, just a little tall thing of 380 0.3 feet, just, just a small little thing. He says, I saw a vision. I saw a dream of this tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. So I have a tendency, this is sort of like what he was envisioning. But you'll notice the next tree, because I think that this is really even a little bit more. Not only was it tall, the tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. As I looked at this, I thought that was really neat, the height. But this is like a tree that I would imagine somebody dreamed about. I mean, this is immense. And that's what I picture when he talks about it covering the earth and all the animals, all the people. They were, were protected by it. They were sustained by it. They were being, being nurtured and cared for through this tree. When I saw that picture, I thought, yeah, that's a tree that looks like it's bringing some sustenance. That's a tree that looks like all the animals could dwell and they would have plenty of room. He says, and I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, verse 13, there was a watcher, this is an angel, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off the leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of an animal, and let seven times pass over him. So now he has a, uh, as the vision continues, of a stump. The tree is cut down, the leaves and the bark, everything's stripped off like it's going to be taken to, to be turned into to wood to build with. It's like totally stripped. But the, uh, the stump is left. And it's bound with bands of bronze and iron. And he's told that this will specifically stay there. And then he's told that he is going, that there's going to be this, this event that takes place in the tender grass of the field let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of an animal and let seven times pass over him. So not only is this tree there, not only is it cut down and not only is it stripped and then bound and, and all of that, he is 
seeing that someone is going to be almost become like an animal. Notice it says here that uh, he's going to be wet with the dew of heaven. He's going to, this person, whoever it is, is going to graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of an animal. And there's going to be seven times, and we're going to see more about this as we go on. But he says, this is, this is what I dreamed, and it bothered me. I don't know about you. If I had this dream, it would probably bother me too, especially if you can't understand it. And he says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. Now we can, we can move on with this, but I just want to pause here because you see this whole dream, everything that Nebuchadnezzar is relating to Daniel is really hinging on those words in verse 17, that the most high Rules in the kingdom of men. Dear one, as, as we sit here today in the 21st century, that statement is just as true today as it was the day when it was written in the book of Daniel. The most high God is sovereign here today. Whether you agree with the way things are going or not, the king's heart's in the Lord's hand, and all the things that are happening, God is the superintendent of. Nothing catches him by surprise. And as believers... Even though we may be concerned, even though we, we may sometimes worry. I know worry is a sin and we don't worry. We're, we're maybe a little anxious. I really appreciated Fred's, uh, Fred's comment when Steve said he got in touch with me. He said, stressed. I, I think sometimes we're stressed. But the fact is that it's not like others because, you see, we know whom we have believed and we're persuaded that he's able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. Amen. You see, even though it seems like everything is going to, to, to dis destruction around us, we know whom we have believed. And you see, at this juncture, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have that. And if I can share that with you, and if we can begin to understand, there are a lot of people out there that don't have that. They don't have that assurance. They don't have that peace which surpasses all understanding. They don't know the Lord. And I don't know how they get up in the morning. I don't know how they face this thing we call life without knowing that we can trust in the Lord. Without knowing that we can face Him. And that we can trust Him. And that we can face whatever is written on our dial. Remember, the hymn writer said, Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of all. We may trust Him fully all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find him holy true why because they're stayed upon jehovah you see that's what the world's lacking that's what the world needs and dear one the only people that can tell them are us you and me the believers that's our mission that's our mandate that's what god gave when he gave the great commission go tell live evidence and i think sometimes we praise the Lord, we got our fire insurance, we're all paid up, great, we're going to heaven, I, I'm ready to go. And we kind of forget sometimes that unsafe people are amongst us. And people need the Lord. is isn't just what shows up at a missions conference in a song where we see people from around the world. People need the Lord are people that are right out here in the hallways. Our waitresses and bank tellers and, and, and gas station attendants and, and, and store clerks. And people need the Lord are people that, that need the Lord that are right amongst us.
Daniel is really, I think, right on here with verse 17, as the Lord told him, that we need to understand the Most High God rules, and he's sovereign. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, Belshazzar, declare the interpretation. Okay, you're on. <laughs> here you go. Here's what I got. Declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you're able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astounded for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. You know, it's interesting, as, as I look at this, and as I contemplate this passage, I couldn't help but think that over the time that Daniel has been in Babylon, over the time that he has developed a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, I almost feel that he began to care for this man. And you know, sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes the, la the Lord will use a, a person who doesn't know the Lord, but they come very special to us, don't they? A number of years ago, I, uh, I got to know a man. And let me tell you, the first time I met him, he, uh, he wanted to give me some free dental work. And he wasn't even a dentist. He cocked his fist and backed me up against the wall and wanted to hit me in the face because I had dared to close a prayer in Jesus' name. From that ignominious beginning, the Lord just allowed me to develop a friendship and a love and a relationship with that man that, that lasted for eight or nine years. And I'll tell you, it got to the point where I would take him back home and I would, he was, he was not a family member, but I, I would hug him and give him a kiss goodnight like he was my grandfather. I remember on a Father's Day sending him a card and telling him that you're not my granddad, but you sort of are because I adopted you. When I took him out and he could no longer cut his food, I cut his food. When, when I took him out and he could no longer go to the restroom by himself, I took him. And I'm sharing that because that's the love that comes from the Lord. That's something the Lord does. And I think that, that Nebuchadnezzar became very special to Daniel. And as I read this, I'm going to see here what Daniel says. It says he was astonished and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dreamer's interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you as interpretation concern your enemies. You see, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing a man who's saying, you know, I don't like the direction this is going. I don't like where this is going and what it's looking like. May this be to your enemies. May this be to those who hate you. Because obviously he didn't. And then he goes on here and he says, The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, at which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and on whose branches the birds of the heavens had their habitation. It's you, O king, verse 22, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. The tree's you. Here we go again. The last time he had a dream, it was a statue. The head is you. Well, this time the tree is you. Now, the last time, if you remember, he had a dream, chapter 2 of the, of the image. And by chapter 3, he decides to say, wow, I think I'm going to make an image of the whole thing. I don't think he's going to make an image of the tree. Because we see here what's going to happen. He said, as you, O king, and as much, verse 23, as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stumps and roots in the earth, 
bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times have passed over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most high God, which has come upon my Lord, the king. They, verse 25, shall drive you from men. Your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. You see, he's telling him now, look, this is you and here's what's going to happen. They're going to drive you from your dwelling place. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over you. Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command, verse 26, to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. You know, it's amazing. The Bible reminds us that, that the king's heart's in the Lord's hands and he rises them up and sets them down. And I wonder how many people have come to office and uh, they have maybe faced a problem that seems so insurmountable. I know reading about uh, former President Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, probably drove him to a point where, where he became much closer to the Lord if, if he didn't become a Christian. He was much closer because of what he experienced. George Washington during the, the American Revolution. These kind of events drive people to the Lord. It's interesting because the Lord was going to create this and, and his kingdom was assured until he understood, until he came to know he was going to live like an animal. He was going to look like one, act like one, live like one, until he understood that the Most High God was in charge. Let me tell you, I hope I never get to the point where the Lord has to go such drastic measures to get my attention. I hope and pray that I'll be able to get the lesson a little simpler, a little less dramatic. You know that I had cancer, and, and when that happened, I, I began to use that time to figure, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And I'll tell you what I want to revisit again, not so much. But what I have missed, what the Lord showed me through that time, not at all. And one of the things I'm very thankful to him for is through that time, it's been so much easier now to understand when other people are hurting, when other people are suffering. And it takes me right back to, to what I endured. And we meet so many people that have lost people, are going through, have been through, or entering some kind of cancer or some kind of illness or disease or whatever. And, and it's just so easy to empathize. The minute you say the word hospital, I cringe. Because I remember. You know what? Sometimes God wants us to remember those things because it's through those times that he showed us who he is and how powerful he is and what he can do. And it's when he gave us a heart that was much more tender with the things that they should be and a heart that was closer to his. And I think that's what he's looking for here. He wanted Nebuchadnezzar to understand who he was. He wanted Nebuchadnezzar to understand that he was sovereign, not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was thinking it's all about me. That's why he had the image. I'm the head of gold. This is great. It's all about me. And God's saying, not so much. It's really all about me. And until you understand that, you're going to lose everything. It's assured you'll be back. But you're going to live like an animal, look like an animal, act like an animal, eat like an animal until you understand who I am and who's in charge here. You know, the hum, sim writer says, this is my father's world. 
God is in complete control. And for that, I praise him. That's what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. So as we move on in our narrative, we come to verse 28. Notice what he said before, though. He says, therefore, O king, verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. You know what he's saying? Repent. Stop the direction you're going. You have the ability to, to, to make a conscious decision and, 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 and listen to the Lord. Choose you this day who you will serve. Break off your sins by being righteous. Now, he's not talking here about works. You see, I believe righteous acts come from a heart that's been changed by the Lord. Because apart from God, there's nothing we do that's really righteous. You know, Isaiah reminds us that, uh, you know, all our righteous deeds are, 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 are filthy rags. You see, it's impossible to do anything righteous apart from the Lord changing your life. So I really am maybe reading between the lines here. But when Daniel was saying to him, let my counsel be acceptable, break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. I think he's wanting him to change and he's wanting him to surrender and understand who God is. Let me tell you, if we have a message for you today, it's when you leave here, don't forget who God is. Don't ever forget who God is. You know, that, that song that we sang, shout to the Lord. You know, when you just look at those words, what he can do, who he is, what he has accomplished by just the very word of his power, by, by just thinking it. He's so much bigger than us. There was a cartoon I used to see years ago. It was Charles M. Schultz. I always liked Charles M. Schultz. He, Peanuts was so just like right on. And there was one time where, you know, I, I always loved Snoopy. You couldn't not love Snoopy. Plus, I like dogs. So. And Snoopy was in his little Red Baron face. And, and he's standing there, and he looks so adorable. He's like, curse you, Red Baron. I'm sure the Red Baron was really frightened by a little beagle. You see, sometimes we, we look that way. Or the time when, when Schultz drew Linus, he was all mad, apparently, at his parents, who he never saw. And uh, he packed all his worldly possessions into his blanket, and he put them in a stick, and instead of holding it uh, like this, he's walking like this with his little blanket hanging out. It was so cute. And he gets to a street, and he sits there, and he goes, sigh. And Charlie Brown comes up and said, Linus, are you running away from home? He said, yeah, but I'm not allowed to cross the street. <laughs> you see, sometimes we have, to, we have to see ourselves as the boundaries that God has placed there and, and the limitations. Linus was mad, but he couldn't cross the street because he couldn't disobey his parents who he was mad at who he was running away from. So many times I feel that way. I'm like the child that, that tries to run. But God is the hound of heaven. And he flees you down your nights and days. Amen. That's what Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear. That's what Daniel was trying to say. He's saying, you know, if I could go to Psalm 2, he's saying, oh, king, be wise, be taught, be instructed. Listen. Well, a year later, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he had a year. And, and maybe for a year, he was able to control things. You know, for a while, even a person that has like anger issues or, or whatever, they maybe can control things for a while. But eventually, life is just going to wear at you. 
and it's going to expose you for who and what you are. He had a year, at the end of 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace. And I just saw this picture, and it just really, really reminded me of this. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I've built for a royal dwelling, for my mighty power, and for the honor of my majesty. And you see what he's doing? He's taking all the credit. God said, you need to understand the most high God is sovereign in the universe. The most high God calls the shots. And until you realize that, you stand in trouble. How many times do we meet people like G. Gordon Liddy, like Nebuchadnezzar, that think that they're the captain of their ship? They're in charge here. They don't need God. And you see what happens is they're kind of impacted at that point with, with the reality of who God is and what he's capable of doing. And God does that, I think, because of his love and his mercy and to show us how great he is and how infinitesimally small and helpless we are. Let me tell you, you know, down in Florida, this storm, if it comes in one way, it could be devastating. If it goes another way, it, it, it could be no problem at all. It could have 155-mile-an-hour winds or 185 or better. God's in charge of that. We saw what happened in Texas. The hurricane wasn't so bad, but the fact that it stayed there for a week and just kind of hovered and rained and rained and rained, it's, it's horrible. God's in control. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. Is that seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years? We really don't know. I tend to think it was more like seven months or seven years because it had to be a significant amount of time. But the fact is, seven times had to pass over him, probably years. And he said, they shall pass over until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. There's a uh, disease that is often kind of identified with this called boanthropy. It's a psychological disorder in which a human believes himself or herself to be a cow or an ox. Now, I don't understand how these things work, but this is something that is totally scientifically understandable and documentable. Whether that's what happened, we don't know. But the reality is that this man, this king, this, this world ruler was driven out, and for probably seven years, he looked like, acted like, lived like, and existed like he was an animal. God says, until you know. And then we see here his restoration. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. You see, he got it. It took seven years of probably looking, acting, existing like an animal for him to understand, I'm nothing. He's everything. We're, we're, we're just dust. 
in comparison with him. He says, he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You know what? The world may try to stop God, but they can't do it. It's not possible. God is in complete control, and God does whatever he wants. He rises it up, sets it down. He's in complete control. And we need to realize that, and the world needs to understand that. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and my splendor returned to me. For whatever reason, maybe because Daniel was there. Maybe he was the bands that protected. We don't know. But Nebuchadnezzar was away, but the kingdom was safe, and he was allowed to return. And everything that he had lost, everything that he had set aside during this time of illness and sickness where, where he just, just lived basically no better than one of the, the horses or cattle that, that was in his possession, it was returned to him. And he says, in the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored. They were restored. My kingdom was an excellent majesty was added to me. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven all of whose works are true truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he's able to obey i'm going to go out on a limb here but i really believe nebuchadnezzar is going to be seen in heaven someday this to me is is the testimony of nebuchadnezzar who through the the entire jewish people being conquered and and being brought into captivity and thinking that his gods were stronger than theirs that's why he changed the names of daniel and his friends to name them after his gods because he was saying my gods are better than your god and god saying uh 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 i'm the most high god and even while god was working and trying to 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 get israel to understand why they were where they were and what they had done, he's also reaching out and bringing a Gentile world ruler to himself. You know, it's interesting. This man again. One evening, during a guest appearance on Late Night with David Letterman, the talk show host asked Liddy, quote, what happens when we die? We are food for the worms, replied Liddy. Gordon Liddy had conquered every challenge set before him, but he couldn't shake the memory of that casual exchange with Letterman. It created a deep sense of uneasiness, and he didn't know why. By definition, in his understanding, God is infinite, and we're finite, Liddy reasoned, and there must be, there has to be some form of communication between the infinite to the finite. Because he said, there is no way I'm ever going to be able to apprehend that for myself, except there's some kind of communication. And then Liddy said, a light went on in his head. That's what the Bible is all about. The Bible was not merely a historical record. It was God's communication to the world. It was God's communication to lost people. There must be more. So that must be where Christ comes in, thought Liddy. God must have sent his son to win that which we cannot win for ourselves and to continue the communication. At that point, G. Gordon Liddy realized that Christ was who he claimed to be and he trusted in him and became a Christian. This is from the book Against the Night by Charles Colson. Now I share that because you see, God is in the business of saving souls, amen? Be it Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, be it G. Gordon Liddy or a young kid at the age of 10 named Tom Simcox. 
who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, God's about changing lives. And my friends, that's really an important message for the world today because the world needs to know the Jesus who can change lives. For more audio resources, including MP3 downloads of past Prophecy Conferences, visit us at foi.org.